Hi, mate. Welcome to Indie Spunk. This is the place where emerging filmmakers can roll up their sleeves, get strategic, and create career-changing work from script to screen. Hosted by yours truly, Izzy Stevens. I'm an actor, award-winning indie filmmaker, coach, and an Aussie in LA. And here, you'll uncover your road ahead so you can get more stories funded, filmed, and celebrated. From building connections, pitching, crowdfunding, festivals, publicity, and creative entrepreneurship, of course, with a healthy dose of industry special guests, we talk about it all. And I get pretty honest about my experiences in the industry too. The good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) So if that sounds like your jam, I'm really glad you're here. Let's dive in. Quick heads up, this interview was recorded inside Indie Spunk Club as a part of our special industry guest interview series, which is why you will hear us refer to people at the end of the call. Uh, They are people who are inside the community asking questions. And if you're curious and you want to join this community, we do hot seat coaching. We have special guests and mentorship calls, hot seat calls, and also pop-up workshops. So come and join us if you're curious. If you want to check it out, the link is in the show notes. I'm excited to host you. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. We have the incredible Julia Prescott with us. I am thrilled to introduce Julia. Julia has written for Fox, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Nick, Cartoon Network, DreamWorks, Hasbro, BBC Kids. I mean, what can't I name? She's she's sort of gotten around to so many of these incredible places and has written for them. So I know that it's going to be an interesting conversation. Um, but Julia's also been the creator of the hit uh, Black Pill series, and that is starring some comedy geniuses, Natalie Palamades, John Ennis, Audrey Whitby, and together with Ali Goetz, she also co-hosts the Hit Simpsons podcast, which I'm so excited to talk to you about. It's called Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, and she also co-hosts around Springfield, and she's got all the uh, multiple books, including 100 Things uh, That Simpsons Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And... (laughs) (laughs) To top it all off, Julia also wrote a Treehouse of Horror episode, which has blown my mind. And I'm so excited for you, Julia. That is the coolest thing. And that is the 32nd season. So that uh, aired in October 2020. Um, And another cool thing, I can't believe it, is that you you actually got to break uh, Matt Groening's podcast cherry, right? (laughs) Podcast cherry. So I don't know if we said it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, no, (laughs) you didn't, I did. (laughs) But, um, but that is so cool. So um, it's very cool that you got to interview him and and be the first to chat to him over podcast. Um, So welcome, welcome to Indie Spunk. We're thrilled to have you. How are you today? I'm great. I'm fantastic after that intro. My goodness. (laughs) I'm, I'm, having it laid out like that I'm like oh shit I I guess I have been at this for a little while um that fully cured me of any kind of seasonal depression that I could have been experiencing today (laughs) I will 100% be your hype girl if you ever just need me to be on the phone and Julia you've got this let me read I'll put you on the payroll (laughs) (laughs) yeah checks in the mail um well, first of all, thank you so much for asking me to be uh, a part of this. Um, you know, we met because uh, I believe you signed up for, it was one of the few before the pandemic started in-person uh, writing classes that I teach or mm-hmm. taught at Lyric Hyperion. And now I 
have been doing it just online because uh, I still haven't gotten COVID yet. Knock <laughs> on. And I'm trying I'm to keep that as, as long as possible. Um, I know my days are numbered, but um, I, you know, through that workshop and then probably just my personality online, especially, I love talking to other writers. I love um, encouraging other writers as much as I can because, um, you know, <laughs> you could probably tell from that long resume, it's not just like, I've been at this a while because I'm the most talented person. It's, I've been at this for a while because I truly can't do anything else. Like <laughs> From age like five, I was like, I suppose I'm a writer. And then it's just been like digging, jackhammering into the ground deeper and deeper ever since. So I really can't think of anything else. Um, and, uh, you know, I know, and you guys know that being a writer or pursuing writing is such a psychological minefield of imposter syndrome and, you know, uh, worthiness of being in the same arena as our heroes and just worthiness to tell a story. Um, and I've worked my whole life deprogramming myself and trying to help other people deprogram themselves from um, that kind of psychological, you know, minefield. And it is just all about the psychology. Like you guys are all writers because you write. And like, that's as simple as it is. Um, it isn't, you know, only starting when you get to write writer on your taxes. So that is thrilling. Um, you guys are always writers. So I'm just, I'm happy to, to encourage and tell the truth. It's never smoke blown. So I'm, I'm happy to be here to be in, in that kind of environment. Oh, thank you. It's, it's so wonderful to have you and talking through, you know, the mental blocks that we all go through as creatives is yeah. something that we do a lot in Indie Spunk. Cause I think it's one of the most important things that we can talk about is, how we stop and limit ourselves more than anyone else does. So thanks for talking. I appreciate you bringing that up. And I also, yeah. um, it, you know, to discuss the, the way that we met, so many of us in this community talk about how to get words on the page and just vomit it up and get it going and just write, 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 and just don't think too much about it. And that principle, that trash draft principle that you taught me all those years ago permeates and gets brought up all the time. And so you, Julia, is the reason that that's something that we talk so much about. We talk about getting those words out on the page. So oh, man. yes, Julia, I mean, I know <laughs> we've, we've only had a few touch points, but, and I, I met your mom as well, who is just so beautiful. And I know. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah. She's, so her wonderful. ears are probably ringing. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I hope we can send her some good love. Um, okay, right. so you've talked a little bit about how this was like the only thing that you could do. And I totally understand that. I feel that way as a filmmaker as well. Um, but what was it about comedy that drew you in? What, like, how did you know that you wanted to be a part of comedy TV writing? Or was that even a thought? Or did you just sort of land there? How, how did that work? Yeah, it, it was a, a bunch of different threads that were kind of concurrently going on. Um, you know, from a very early age. Well, I should back up and say that... Um, I am like a Nepo baby, but not um, <laughs> <laughs> because my parents came to Hollywood to make it and they didn't. Um, but, and then I <laughs> dove into a career, um, you know, part, partly to carry on the torch, um, but, but also partly because I was born and raised in Los Angeles and that's just what you do. Um, but I would definitely say that I was influenced by, especially my dad. My dad came to um, LA to be a stand-up comedian, and he was during the 80s and 90s. And, you know, got to the point, I think his most successful um, 
part was being a warm-up comic for the Bob Newhart show. Um, oh, and this cool. is all before, like, I was born and came on the scene. Like, he pretty much hung up his cape before um, before I was kicking around. But he did that, and I, uh, and then my parents got divorced, um, which, you know, made me into a comedian. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I just, like, grew up with a funny dad, and, and I'd go and visit him with my sister on the weekends, and it became... A tradition of us to have him show us a movie that we've never seen before Albert Brooks movies Don Knotts movies um the best of Eddie Murphy on SNL like all these little comedic treasure troves that became a touchstone for us in our bonding but then very early you know planted that seed of comedy is valuable um and and then you know maybe it's through genetics of being related to him maybe it's just the environment who knows nature nurker um, but I just really, really, really wanted to be really funny. I just wanted that kind of shine. And I saw it in my dad and I saw it in the things that we appreciated. And I also saw it as a challenge. Like I, and I liked to be creatively challenged. So I just found that to be inherently a little bit more valuable. Like one of my earliest memories, and this is so cheesy, but whatever. Um, one of my earliest memories is like being in kindergarten after like you know spending a weekend at my dad's house um and sitting in like the little play area in kindergarten and like looking around the, at legos and blocks and being like how can i make this a bit basically like, <laughs> truly that's what i thought well wow. like how do i make something i want to make my other friends laugh like earliest memory of wanting that so so that was always there but then um, you know, it's interesting. You have dreams, of course, when you're young and you don't have any shame and you don't know what the world is. Um, and you also don't know how impossible it is to achieve your dreams. And so I had that like confidence very early, but then I had a long period of like in puberty and, you know, the like identity crises um, chapter in your life. And then especially, you know, watching more comedies with my dad and, and understanding like, also, like, why did he quit? Like, you know, what were the factors? It's a really tough industry. Mm -hmm. Like, why, you know, do I think that I can hack it when my parent didn't? That became something that in like my formative years, I really carried the burden of emotionally. And so for a while, I stepped away from even attempting to be a comedy writer. And this is like high school, middle school kind of era. I, I stepped away from it even being a possibility because it felt so impossible. And then I had like my comedy heroes and I just kept thinking like, well, they're so good. How could I possibly even, you know, dive in there? And it was like really up until I want to see the middle of college. I was still like, I'm obviously a writer, but comedy is like something that, you know, only the blessed people get to do. And then one day I was like, bitch, come on. <laughs> like every <laughs> script you write is wacky. Everything that you do, your muscles are finding that. So it was this moment of just like, not fighting it anymore and trusting yeah. myself that I could do it. Um, and I, I haven't looked back ever since. And who's to say if I've been like the most success, I'm, I don't feel like I'm the funniest person in any writer's room that I'm in. If it's very joke centric, I'll just say, and I know everybody is saying they say that about themselves to some degree. Um, but I, I trust myself and my instincts enough. Um, and I trust the passion that I have. Mm. And honestly, that's what really carries me to like go day by day and continue on and call myself a comedy writer I'm like well hey 10,000 hours I guess <laughs> that's it I love I love that idea of trusting your passion 
What does that mm-hmm. look like for you in a practical, in the moment sense? Um, it, it looks like, I mean, honestly, that's the seeds of trash draft. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier, and I'm not sure if everybody here um, or listening as a podcast um, knows what trash draft is, but it's, um, it's something that actually started as a uh, writer's group that I personally had with my friends where I was just so sick of second guessing myself. I was so sick of being so precious with every idea. I'm also like a very type A Lisa Simpson type person. And maybe also this comes from like being raised around comedy and writing in Hollywood where I'm like, no, it has to be perfect. You know, I don't want to make a fool of myself. So I would often have ideas for things. And then I would just like, let them sit on like a mental shelf and be like, it's not ready yet. And I don't, I don't want to do a bad job, you know? And honestly, when I was growing up, one of my favorite movies of all time was um, Tim Burton's Ed Wood. And, and then I dove into like, his own movies that would yes yes but I I was so inspired by that movie like I think that's one of the greatest movies about being a creative and if you don't know it it's a movie about Edward was um deemed the worst filmmaker of all time there's (laughs) something and he was before the room before Tommy was so before Tommy um, (laughs) there's something so inspiring about failing fantastically and allowing Mm. yourself to fail so I kind of took that inspiration and then also was like well, you know what? I'm so fucking sick and tired of talking about I have an idea for a pilot and never committing it to paper. What if I just like had a week where I just go, okay, I'm going to cancel all my other plans. I'm just going to write out this script. And if it sucks, then it sucks. I've wasted a week. You know, I've wasted it. Um, so I, that's where it kind of started for me. And then it became a class because mm. people started uh, hearing about it and asking about it and getting excited about it. And, and then, you know, I'll do my own little like trash drafts where, um, you know, last year I, part of my new year's resolution was like, let's just write a shitty pilot a month, but only spend like five days on it. Like I even shortened it down because I have to, I'm sick in the head. I have to like up the ante. <laughs> um, and it became this thing of like, oh my God, I'm like almost. I'm like deeming myself or daring myself to fail. Like, let's see how far we can take it. And like amusing myself with how some of these script ideas were really bad. (laughs) Some of these scripts (laughs) were really, really bad. But I was so proud of myself at the end for trusting and trusting that passion. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I think what it looks like for me is um, you could sit here, you could start every day at your computer and go like, Ah, I don't know, read deadline, you get in your head about how other people are getting more successful than you, you, you read a script and you go, oh, this script is so good. I'll never write anything as good as that. Um, And I honestly believe that it is as simple as going bigger dummies than you, like you have it in you, you may not get it from like page one, but who does, Mm. Um, you know, just like, just go and don't judge yourself with that. So I love that so much. I so relate to everything that you're saying. And I I know that no one can see me when listening to the podcast, but I'm like nodding ferociously (laughs) at you (laughs) because I feel like me, for me personally, I'm a far better editor than I am writer. And so to edit, I need words on the page and to get words on the page, I need to stop thinking so critically about the things that I'm doing and just get it down. And so being able to just turn that thinking mind off and just get it out. And then, you know, be be in that space where I can prime my subconscious through free writing, through taking walks, doing something that makes me feel creative that isn't writing and then sitting down to trash draft, then I can edit. And that's the fun yeah. part for me. And I feel like 
that's the easier part as well. Sometimes, sometimes it's the harder part, but, um, but I feel like you just need to get those words on the page. So that's why I love this, this, this trash draft principle and how you taught it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know, I always think of it like, um, you know, no writing is ever a waste. Every single time Mm. you open up your software program or whatever, you get better as a writer. And I mean, I don't know how y'all feel about this, but I truly like, I'll read something I wrote a week ago and I'll be like, oh my God, who, who is that? <laughs> like, I feel like I've, I've somehow surpassed that or especially like if you add a year or more or whatever, um, you're just constantly getting better because writing is all about muscle memory and it's just all about like feeling the flow. There's something very musical about writing too. There's the rhythm of the dialogue. There's a rhythm of flowing between scenes. And so writing is just about like sharpening those instincts and not being in your head because when you start you're all in your head because you don't know anything so you're reading all the books and you're reading like eight types of characters you know like textbooks and you're reading save the cat i personally hate save the cat (laughs) i acknowledge that it is a a rich text um, that is essential in a lot of ways Um, but i'm all about like learning the rules and then just like deliberately breaking them because every single writer is different. And I would also say that every single writer's process can change per project. So sometimes I'll be like, hey, I'm gonna do a trash draft and then we'll see how it goes. And to be honest, I've had some uh, trash drafts where I finish it after a week and I go, it's perfect. And then I send it out and other people are like, you're right. <laughs> Cause I'm so good. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, but, but, it, but, but sometimes, you know, there's that, but then I could literally do, and this has happened. I'll, I'll literally move on to whatever that next project is. So say it's like a month later, I want to trash draft something else. I'll trash draft it and be like, Ooh, no, banish this to the sea. Um, I need to work <laughs> on this maybe for another month, sometimes multiple years. Every idea is different. And I think that also can come into, um, you know, your ability. So sometimes maybe you guys have experienced this, you'll have an idea and you know, it's a good idea, but maybe sometimes you'll try it out. And the truth is your ability, your skills for navigating how to write that idea is just not sharp Mm. enough to properly convey what you want. And you know it in the pit of your stomach, you know, that something's not right. That doesn't mean you're a bad writer. That just means that you need to write some more scripts in order to get to that point of understanding what that script needs and how to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going back to like trash draft, I also like to think of it like, um, you know, you know, in Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, when he's in the forest and you have all the different doors um, for the different holidays. Uh, I always think of that imagery when I'm writing a trash draft. So say you write a trash draft, you're opening a door and you're just like going down a path and you're like, I don't know. And my favorite (laughs) trash drafts are the ones where you don't even like have everything figured out like story point. Yes. You're just going move fast, break things, TBD story beat here. I don't know. They (laughs) say something nice about their mom. We'll figure it out later. We got, we got to move. That's what all my early drafts look like. It's like something here that's quippy. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes, especially when you're writing comedy, you get so hung up on the perfect joke that then you're yeah. like, fuck, I've spent, oh, can I curse? Oh yeah, C- cuss away. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've, spent, I've spent like two hours on one joke and you're like, there's the day. Um, so those are my favorite trash drafts, but going back to the Nightmare Before Christmas thing. So even if you do write a trash draft, 
and you go like, you know, there've been some where I turn to my husband, I go, if something happens to me, burn my computer, please, because it's, it's really <laughs> no bad. I don't looks. want this to be my <laughs> legacy. Um, That's great. It's one last door that you have to open. So it's yeah. not, um, it's, it's not a waste. And one last thing I know I'm going on, on a ramble, but um, this is all making me think of, uh, I really love, as I'm sure all of the people present here love because you're here um, hearing about other people's processes but I uh, recently got to attend a zoom with um, the directors the Daniels who directed everything everywhere yes. all at once yeah. uh, of course they're so amazing and uh, I've never been in a writing or creative partnership in that way so that alone is fascinating to me mm. what was fascinating particularly for them they were being asked about what their writing process is what brainstorming looks like for them they had drastically different approaches. Wow. Drastically. Like Daniel Kwan is all like in his head. He's got, he's got a map for everything. It's all detailed, indexed, everything. Daniel Shiner is like, I don't know, man. I just skateboard and journal. And I was like, that rules. And he said something in particular that really resonated with me. He said when he was, when they were writing everything everywhere, um, he had like an Evernote that he would just like go to and he would just journal, 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 and it would just be free associate. Like maybe mm. the character is like this. And it's sort of all those things that you do, um, especially if you're an actor, you like create a bio for somebody. But if of course you're a writer, um, I like to think of it as you're constructing what is uh, underneath the water of the iceberg. And then what is in the script is the top of the iceberg, but you need the bottom in order to inform those decisions up top. Oh, so he yeah. was doing that with Evernote and writing, 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 writing. And he said, yeah, at one point I realized I had an Evernote that was 500 pages long and I never read it back, but <laughs> oh it was, gosh. but I know it was essential for me to figure out the decisions I had to do. And I was like, dude, that is, mm. that is what it is. Like, you know, no waste of writing. And I know that also writers are very like, you know, product results based because what is that Dorothy Parker quote like writers love to have written but hate to write something yes. like that <laughs> um <laughs> we all just want the results but you know that to me spelled like no falling in love with the process mm. and I think also with trash rep I've had to it's been partly like to trick myself into falling in love with the process which mm. we all hate it's like going to the dentist, but you have to go. But then <laughs> it's so do. satisfying after with that delicious, clean teeth feel. Yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. I love it. Let's stretch this analogy. <laughs> would be, yes. I also I quite like your iceberg analogy too. I think that's so, so uh, on point. So, okay. What I, and we talked, you, you mentioned, you know, how much we love hearing about people's processes. And that's something that we talk a lot about as well, which is, I think, especially, you know, when you're first, you're first kind of walking into this filmmaker zone or walking into this industry ready to sort of start creating work. You think that there needs to be the right way to do something or, yeah. you know, <clears throat> we must do what they did because it worked for them. And I think that the journey of being a, a writer and a filmmaker and a creator is figuring out your own process and how do you work? What's your zone of genius and how do you um, play to that? And also, know what your weaknesses are not so that you can feel bad about them but so you can plug them so you can bolster that support area and yeah. so uh I wonder though okay a little bit of a pivot I wonder for you what was the first moment where you felt like this was a bit of a break for you and how did that happen exactly 
Yeah. So I got very, very, very lucky. Um, and then I got unlucky for a long stretch. So I should just. <laughs> I still relate to that. that. <laughs> yeah. It's feast or famine. Um, yeah. So when I was in, I, I was, I was very, very lucky where I went to going all the way back to high school. I went mm -hmm. to an arts high school. I'm very quick also to say I'm probably the least successful famous person for my high school. I went <laughs> to high school with the band time oh. <laughs> and, and other people <laughs> that are more famous than me. Um, but I, I got a, a break there by, by attending that high school. It was a very like fame like high school. Um, and then I got really involved in the film department there, which wasn't like a, well, it was a program or whatever. You don't need to know this, <laughs> but I, but that's when I really was like, okay, let's write more and more and more and see how this goes. And graduating there, I ended up, um, winning a scholarship that was funded by Warner brothers that, um, changed my life because it allowed me to intern at Warner brothers every summer while I was in college. Wow. So I got to, I know, I got to bounce around. I got to drive a golf cart before I had my license. <laughs> um, I got into a car accident in that golf cart. Oh my God. Fine. Every, everything's fine. Um, and then uh, all the while I was writing, writing, writing and uh, in college, you know, found sketch comedy and started writing sketches and sketch for me, um, I also started doing stand-up in college as well, but sketches like a writing uh, medium was really interesting for me because it's just a scene that depends on a joke. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't have to think, I was really self-conscious about like my ability to craft characters that felt real in a world that felt real. So it was kind of like a cheat code to get into an area of writing um, where I can show how funny I was <laughs> without having to like create 30 Rock, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I started to write, um, sketches and assemble what, um, eventually became a packet. And I had also heard like from, I think Brian Fassane was talking about how he got into Mr. Show and, you know, part of this is probably self-deprecating, like just preservation, but he was like, I don't know if I was the most talented, but I was prepared. So I remember hearing that in college and being like, I gotta be prepared. So I started mm. to assemble sketches that became my sketch packet. And then I got into Channel 101. Um, if you guys don't know, it's a community of filmmakers and writers and actors that were started by Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub um, like two plus decades ago. And it basically is a monthly film festival where creators create five minute shows, five minute pilots, audience votes on which one they wanna see the second episode of. It was a really great try and fail kind of situation. So I started writing dumb little shows and. I mean, like these, the shows would, they were five minutes each, these episodes, and they would range from like being, you know, laser fart or like <laughs> a really arty one called the typewriter that my friend Kate made. And I, I think I made one that was like, Abraham Lincoln's my roommate and he's kind of a dick. Like it, the early <laughs> 2000s was a wild time. Anyway, this is a really long way to tell the story. Apologies. But um, I, I didn't know, I didn't write these things. I mean, I knew I was assembling a packet, but I didn't like write it being like, I'm going to send it straight to SNL or I'm going to send it straight here. Right. It was just something that like I started to just assemble naturally and knew that I had to have something to show, you know, what I could do. And then at the end of my schooling, um, after I interned and bounced around, I had a, a meeting that changed my life where I had a mentor that I was assigned to and she said, oh, you want to be a comedy writer? Well, why don't you meet with the guy who's... Um, 
you know, running the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop, which is uh, a studio fellowship. A lot of yes. the main studios like ABC, NBC, Fox, um, CBS, they have fellowships where they open the door basically to people that are unknown and, you know, not so much off the street, but like just undiscovered talent. So I was, I got this meeting and I was so excited and I walk into this guy's office and I'm like freshly 21, <laughs> bright as a daisy. And he goes, um, Hey, so just so you know, I'm like, I've literally just walked just so you know, I'm not going to be considering you at all for the writer's workshop because oh. you're too young. And, you. I, and, and I know I completely <laughs> deflated. I was like, I, like, I was like ready to call my mom on the way there being like, let's buy a boat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was like, ah, like I seated on the couch. And so I just remember being like, uh, that's cool. We're just talking. And then yeah, I don't want to date have, you either. <laughs> I don't yeah. date you either. I don't break up with you. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it ended up being the best meeting of my life. And it changed my life because I was at ease. I wasn't interviewing for mm. anything. And then I, I just, you know, he was curious about what I was into and I was just very open to it. So that taught me a lesson early on of like, when you go and you interview for things, you have to have a mix of preparedness and you also have to just be yourself because mm. like nine times out of 10, they're just hiring somebody that they want to hang out with. They don't want you to be a fucking weirdo. Everybody's sweaty in this town. Yeah. Just like be somebody that they're not going to like worry about, you know, like walking through their car at night, you know? Um, and so I was just like talking to him about my shitty channel 101 shows, about my shitty sketches, all that stuff. And at the end of this meeting, he goes, you know, there might be something that you would be good for. And I was like, excuse? And that ended up being how I got my very first writing job, which was a show that was produced by Warner Brothers. And it was on the ranch and I got to come in and it was like, you never hear this. I'm embarrassed by it. Sorry, guys. Again, I had long stretches of no job after this, but I was still, I was, it was like months later, still freshly 21. And I'm going to work as a staff writer. And um, I fucked up a lot. <laughs> I've yet to be in a writer's room where I haven't cried in the shower. But <laughs> that never changes because <laughs> you care so much and that's why you're there. Um, but I, I learned so much from that job. And I also remember, um, you know, you, you get a lot of like little bits of tricks of the trade every job. And people like to kind of summarize how to break into the industry. I, I feel like every job that I've had, somebody tries to turn to me and say like, this is how you do it, mm. which just proves that you don't know how no to do one, it. No one knows. Or nobody does. Yeah. Um, but, but something that one of the <laughs> uh, like head writers at this um, job told me, he, he echoed that sentiment of like, half the job is hanging out. Don't be a weirdo. And then the second part of that, he told me, he goes, MTV is the best place to screw up. <laughs> yeah. And at the time I was like, okay, great. But then as I, let me make as notes. <laughs> but as I've navigated my career, I've learned that like that applies to different corners and, and really more specifically, like finding yourself you know, with the exception of like, if you got your own TV show, like every single job is a learning experience. Every single job is like a place to screw up. And I think going in, not thinking like I'm perfect and I'm never going to screw up, which of course adds more pressure and it makes you in your head. And then it makes you never pitch things and it makes you scared to write. Like 
no, every single job is an opportunity to screw up. But with that comes the knowledge, the lessons, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that also flows into like just being somebody that you want to hang out with. Because if you're coming into a writer's room and you're pretending like you're in the next coming of Christ or that you're <laughs> perfect or that you need to be perfect, you know, um, in doing the Simpsons podcast, it makes me think about how Mike Scully, who's like one of the greatest comedy writers of all time. Uh, it's insane. He wrote for Raymond and he wrote on the Simpsons and he did it all. But he mentioned that when he was first hired on the Simpsons, he didn't speak or pitch for like the first full month because wow. he was two in his head. Mm. And fortunately things worked out for him, but like, you know, you just kind of have to like dare to fail, not in a way that's like dominating the room, but in a way that is like acknowledging that you're human. And I think other people respond to that. Oh, that's such good advice. You said so many juicy nuggets that I'm (laughs) going to like re-listen to this podcast. Um, uh, I wanted, so I actually really relate to you on the feeling like my early success was luck and Mm -hmm. like, how did I get here? Because I, Or, you know, I auditioned for a television show when I was 17, didn't know what it was and didn't have any stake in a job in the TV world. Got it. It was a series regular. It was like one of the best projects I ever worked on. And then years, for years after it was like, yeah. you know, at the time I was like, this is great. I've, you know, I've, uh, I've done it. I've, I'm here. I've won. Like no need to audition anymore. Here's my 17 year old brain. That's, you know, yeah. <laughs> has no oh, trust me. I was that way after this job. I, I yeah. Called, right. I called- so I called up I, somebody who became my manager and I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm here. I'm over. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's exactly what my experience was too. I remember in my head thinking like, this is great. Like I'm, I, I no longer have to audition. And so, and of course we know, you know, that's absolutely not the truth. Um, and the next few years were that were so grounding in, you know, and humbling in the pursuit of what I now was in love with and had to like find my way back to. And so yeah. that's, I'm so curious to hear about what your experience was with, you know, that time between. And I have a, I yeah. mean, I have a few follow-up questions for you. I, I love hearing you t- and I, I won't bombard you. I'm just going to say them so I don't forget them. So your pitch packet, right? Something that you created and cultivated and had in your back pocket, being prepared and then being able to walk in as a human. I'd love to talk to you about how you utilized that pitch packet in in the various different ways like what was the first maybe apart from that meeting what was the first time you feel like you yourself presented that Mm, and mm -hmm. um and of course yeah how how did you sort of move from that first you know amazing moment of success to oh my gosh this is actually a grind I'm really working hard how did you land your next um next sort of opportunity and whatever whatever just uh whatever permeated for you I know I just like said 400 questions at you (laughs) yeah 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 um I'll try and uh, so there's pitch packet and then there's time in between you got two um I feel like they can work together because Mm. you're like constantly crafting it so to address the pitch packet I honestly like the packet that I had that got me that first job is not your traditional packet it was, as I mentioned, full of sketches. It was full of five minute pilots. I think it worked because I was so fresh and so clean, clean. I was so new, sorry. <laughs> um, I was so new and green that it was, and, and you know, nobody wants to read a really long script from somebody brand new to town. <laughs> so I think it, that helped me for that. Um, but to be honest, the standard packet that I then 
over time learned and it changes, you know, per job, but um, depending if it's a late night show that you're, you're um, submitting a packet to, they have their own format where it's like, you have to write monologue jokes and you have to write maybe like one five minute sketch. Um, and you have to have all these other elements. If you're just going for like a normal, a normal scripted episodic TV show, so say a sitcom, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, you typically want to have like one really strong sample of a script. Either it is a spec script of a show that is currently on the air and people love to argue, are people reading specs or are they not? Ugh, I don't know. Just yeah. write whatever, something that reflects <laughs> yeah. your, your vibe. Um, you, of course, need a spec script to uh, apply to the studio fellowships, as I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. That's like a, a hard-nosed requirement of them. Um, but I would recommend having a spec of something if, if you want, but most importantly, a, a, an original pilot. So that, to me, like became... I learned over and over and over how to do that. Um, and, and of course, going back to Trash Draft, like you're only as strong as your last script, mm -hmm. um, you know, writing wise. So that's always an incentive to keep writing. And then also, you know, when you keep writing, you'll shake loose some other ideas constantly. And so um, that's the exciting part for me where I'm like, Ooh, what else is in this attic? So that's why I'm constantly like trying to, to write a newer, newer pilot. So, so that becomes the pitch packet. Going back mm -hmm. to your other question about like, what did I do after this job and how did I manage the in-between? I got lucky again after this job. I got hired on a show called The Awful Bat Super Show after that um, in their first season. Uh, that is a show that has been banished to uh, digital streamers that no longer <laughs> want to carry it. Uh, there's a brotherhood, a sisterhood that is growing in that club um same with my original show townies by the way oh, really? <laughs> it's been it's been fun but it's uh, somewhere in the cloud it's somewhere in the cloud um somebody is uh you know watching it on mars but yeah. uh that was <laughs> yeah. the show aquabat show is uh from the band the aquabats if you're familiar they're a ska band and i kind of knew them because I was a ska kid in high school and, you know, it's likely, you know, whatever. But then I also had, you know, come from this show. So I was sort of like legitimized by that. And I had my packet ready to go. But then after that, I had a really long period where nothing was happening. And going back to my feeling and, and your feeling too, Izzy, of like, I'm here, I've arrived. I remember mom, my mom telling me like, you never have to be an assistant again. And I was like, I don't, like I found the cheat code. Well, months went by after Aquabats wrapped and no writing jobs were coming my way. I didn't have a manager or an agent, so I didn't have anybody kind of like, you know, pitching me to people and bringing any jobs in. And of course, you can't rely on reps to be your like job source, your employment agency. Um, but I, 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 it was just me, myself and I, and I just had a very distorted view of since the first job was so easy. I had a very distorted view with how the next one would be. So um, I started temping. I was embarrassed at first to, it felt like admitting defeat that I wasn't immediately a writer again somewhere. Mm. Um, so I started temping, but because I live in LA, it was a lot of like, it was at Warner Brothers. It was at <laughs> different, you know, I was running into people I interned with and I, I didn't necessarily end that internship in a blaze of glory, but by golly, I, I let the world know that I was about to be the fucking next big thing in town. Um, 
And so I was really embarrassed by that, but it was okay. And, um, you know, everybody was around me was a dumb 20 something like me. So we were all kind of just like, you know, scrimping around trying to do it. And then I actually then became an assistant um, at the Ellen show, (laughs) which is probably its own conversation separately. (laughs) Um, But I I became the travel assistant. um, And my main role was making sure that the celebrities were arriving to the show on time, which is a a simple seeming position that was fraught with so much stress. Like it would be very easygoing. And then like for a full hour, the most stress you've ever experienced in your life where you're just like, is Diddy in the car? I don't know. Is he in the car? Can you get eyes on Diddy? No, we've been trying to entourage. Diddy is not here. No eyes on Diddy. (laughs) Um, And then, and then I, I fortunately was not asked back after that season. And then uh, and then I just bounced around. I did uh, virtual assistant work. It was very early days for that being, a, mm, you know, yeah. a gig economy uh, thing. But all the while, it was like all these things that I was like, I, I want something a little bit more temporary so that if like I get summoned to write another thing, I can run and do it. Now, was that the smartest? I don't know. I was just figuring it out as I went. Um, but I also was doing more stand-up, and I think this is honestly what saved me. I was doing virtual assistant stuff, so that was like my main job. But then, um, because I was virtual, I could be anywhere, and I started getting more into stand-up. And I decided to start uh, organizing my own DIY stand-up tours, where it was just me, myself, and I, and like a rental car, because I wanted to see the world. Because I think when you're born and raised in LA, you're like. I'll never live anywhere else, I guess. So might as well see the South. Um, and so I started getting out on the road and and that enriched mm. my own uh, writing for scripts. It enriched um, my standup, of course, and it allowed me to kind of have my cake and eat it too. And I don't know, it getting out there and just getting in the mix and sort of opening the door to um, anything happening. Like it, it, I think really, really saved me. Otherwise, I probably would have like felt like a failure and mm. just like sunk into a pit of despair. I, I, I so love the travel and the making your own work in terms of comedy writing and getting out there and, and meeting yeah. other people um, as a means of of keeping yourself active in the industry and, and inspired and curious. And I think that's perhaps the most empowering thing that we can do as creatives is just say, okay, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to um, I'm going to make yeah. my own work. I'm going to write my jokes. I'm going to perform them. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to see what happens in this time period. Were you, were you reaching out to people? Were you like actively trying to utilize the network you'd built? Cause I know for me, I really struggled to do that early on. I so relate to your sort of this feeling I had of embarrassment about the years that I wasn't working and feeling yeah. like, Oh no, I've just, I went zoop, zoop, and now I'm sort yeah. of at the bottom of the pool, swimming around, trying to figure out what I'm doing, feeling like I was drowning and not wanting anyone to see me. And so I didn't utilize much of the network that I feel like I had built. How did you feel about that? Were you, you know, were you sending out your packet? Were you looking for meetings? Were you trying to get meetings or were you sort of like, I'll just work over here and do my thing and see if anyone sort of finds me. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a mix of both. I was, um, I I would utilize my network of, that I gained from like interning, but a lot of the internships that I got actually were, obviously they were all at Warner Brothers. I also interned at Comedy Central and FX, I should say. I was an Mm -hmm. overachiever. (laughs) Um, 
but uh, a lot of my internships at Warner Brothers um, were like, you know, not TV related. I was just sort of bouncing around. So, um, you know, I'd like reach out to those people, but it was, it was a case of like, cool, like you're doing it. I can't help you. <laughs> right. So, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of that. Um, but I, I also, you know, I also like was, this was around the time of Funny or Die. And again, I was doing more Channel 101 stuff. And I just also like, you know, interning at Comedy Central, I was in their development offices. And um, I like witnessed firsthand two different instances of my friends making some web series and that getting them a meeting at Comedy Central. Mm. And I didn't even help. I mean, I was like, I mean, if maybe they, they came in, I saw them on the roster and I was like, oh, I know those guys, you know? <laughs> Um, but, but they did all them, themselves and that really taught me that era. And I think it continues today, but of course in different, you know, mediums like TikTok or whatever, mm. but that era was really, really big on like, just do it yourself and sort of see what happens. And that taught me most of all, like, you just have to do it. You just have to mm. write. You just like, if you try to go through proper channels, that's not going to, um, you know, guarantee that you're going to get to where you want to go. And, um, and I continue to learn this as a professional now, like, you know, um, the script that gets me the most meetings right now is a script that I wrote that uh, I knew it was unproducible. And I actually wrote it when I knew I was going to leave my first manager because um, I just felt like my manager wasn't knowing who I was, seeing who I was. Mm -hmm. I met her when I was 22 off that, like, fucking feel me now <laughs> first job and I had evolved since then my sensibilities had evolved and I was just frustrated that every time I like came to her and pitched like hey I want to write a script about this she'd be like mm, no you shouldn't do that but I knew in my heart that I like that it was good that I wanted to do it so I ended up writing the script that's continued to be something that people reach out to me about and and mm -hmm. It was, you know, without like making a whole web series about it, like it, it was very similar, that thing of like, just trust, like it, it doesn't matter if it fits into a box too. And, and I think I had to learn a lesson, you know, that like took, I want to say way longer, but that's me judging myself, but it mm. took, it took a while for me to learn a lesson to not just write or create, um, anticipating what say like NBC or ABC would want just because I'm watching what they currently have mm. but to trust my own instincts for what I like because as I'm sure you guys have heard time and time again and it is true um execs don't know what the fuck they want <laughs> they really don't um they just want you to tell them with absolute certainty that you love something and you figured it out and you can convey it in a way that is um easy to digest and it feels different and new and fun. But of course, like, you know, don't start brainstorming going, I'm gonna write something different and new and fun. Like just trust <laughs> your instincts. And and it took me forever to be like, what's weird and funny to me? And um, yeah. and honestly, like finding the right writers group or at least finding other writers in your life that challenge you and elevate you um, in a way that like feels like you're constantly reaching up and trying to you know like just up the ante with your own creativity that was really helpful too of just like okay I'm a weird bitch you know I'm just gonna like trust what I already have and um and hopefully that like gets communicated and I don't know I think you can also tell like when you create something just to like have it go viral you know mm -hmm. or have it 
hit an audience, like you're pandering. And I think people can smell that pander. Mm. Um, so it can feel really disingenuous. I think like just, just making something and, and just trusting it'll find the right home. Um, Natalie Palomitas, who did my series Townies, is an incredible example of that. I she completely is agree. I love a singular Natalie. talent. <laughs> yes. I, and, you know, we met her through this casting call. I did that series with um, Adaptive Studios. And so they like set up, it was all, it was the most professional thing that I'd ever experienced. <laughs> um, and I felt so guilty making people travel to Santa Monica to audition for something I wrote. Um, You're and so that'll kind, never go you know, away. actors have to do that every day. <laughs> I know, but I was like, I, I but I understand. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> we, found, we found her through our casting agent. I had no idea who she was or what she did. Like I met her for the, for the first time when she walked in that door. And I also, that was a case of making townies. I wrote it with comedians that I knew in mind. And I was like, oh, well, I'm the creator. So I'm just going to like slide them in and it'll be no problem. No. And so then, of course, I realized, no, it's a collaborative effort. I can't just do that. <laughs> um, it isn't because I've just lost jobs to, like, the best friends of, like, the showrunners so many times before. I thought that that's how it, it was done. But I was grateful because, of course, then we found Natalie. And so Natalie, after doing Townies with her, I, I've been obsessed with her ever since. I'm, like, mm. one of her biggest fans. I, mm -hmm. I, she's this amazing person who... She is like one of the lead people in the clowning movement in yes. LA, which whenever I tell people about it, they think bozo. No, we're no. talking to me oh at day. We're talking, you, you know, actually, like, I think because I watched Natalie in at the Lyric Hyperion in a Dr. Brown directs show before it was even ready to get put up. You know how they used to do those like pre-show um, workshops? Yeah, yeah. That's actually how we ended up connecting with you because my friend brought me along to the show and then we ended up being a part of that Hyperion community, but she, her, her comedy, Natalie is so talented and that whole crew, I mean, Bill O'Neill and I know, I mean, they're all, uh, yeah. um, just such, I never laughed so hard in my life at that. They did it. I don't know if you saw the womaning. Did you ever see the womaning? It was like, way I didn't back see when. the womaning. No, I, but I did see Gerald, the Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's so the womaning I was still ma maintained as my favorite comedy show or live show I've ever seen I I laughed so hard that I was like I can't like like something's wrong I can't breathe everyone in my we were just it was yeah a riot and then we went yeah. back and back and back and we just kept seeing it every week because it just it, and, it blew me away <laughs> it's so pure I mean yeah so Natalie I think is such a great example of like yeah. she's just trusting her own whims and that to me is so inspirational mm. I'd like to also shout out um two other friends uh Whitmer Thomas and Clay Tatum are these two guys that I I got to know them through um, their show Power Violence that they uh, just like put up in one of the, one of the shittiest theaters I can say in LA. <laughs> There's a, an area in LA called the Complex, and it's a series of the Boulevard. And I, when I say shitty, I'm not being like a pretentious bitch. I ran a show there. And during the show that I ran, there was a drive-by shooting that happened outside. <laughs> and I was like, excuse? Like, stop oh the show, God. obviously. Um, but it was, it, it was a, and then I told the management and they were like, so anyway, so it's a, that's, that's a kind of vibe. But they started doing this show and they just did it to have fun. And um, it was them being new in town from being from Alabama and wanting to like do stand up, but not knowing where to start. So they created their own show to kind of like 
bring the community to them and, and, you know, also like become stronger standups. It wasn't, it was like the furthest away from it being like, we're only doing this to get famous, um, which made it much more enticing, of mm. course, and much more pure. And now if you look around, like, I mean, Whitmer had an HBO special, which was so amazing. And, it, and he does a lot of music and plays, you know, he plays music with him too. And so that was the thing that was like, holy shit. And then now they have this movie called The Civil Dead that they just shot for $30,000 like a year ago. And um, now, you know, it's being like written up by the New Yorker. The fuck? Like all this yes. stuff. And it's just like, I love good things happening to good people. Yeah. But I think that, you know, and I know we talk about luck too, but um, obviously there's like so much hard work that goes into mm. that. I think I look at them and I look at Natalie and I look at so many other great examples of people in LA where it, to me, like, it, you know, it's just about being honest with yourself and just mm. about like what drives you as a creative and to not have like that, you know, fake, like I'm only going to contort myself to fit what they want me to be, you know, something yes. that my husband always tells me when I'm feeling low, my husband, I'll shout him out to incredible creative. He's an animation director. I, what a joy that I get to live with yeah. such a tour de force, such a <laughs> talented, I mean, I don't understand artists. My sister's an artist too. I'm like, how do you do that with your hands? We have the same hands. How do you do that? Um, <laughs> but he always tells me when I'm feeling low, he goes, think about the people that it really inspire you. If they like hung up their cape or doubted themselves or quit for a second, you would be devastated. And there are people out there that think of you in that way. So just like be honest with yourself and like create from a place of yes. And you oh, know, you'll that's find such it. A beautiful. <laughs> I just love that so much. I think that's the most um, important thing. And also I'm, what I'm hearing a lot of, and as we talk about these people that inspire you and inspire us that, and, and yourself included, starting from a place of curiosity and mm -hmm. listening to yourself and listening to your voice, that yeah. there's so much, especially as culture has evolved, I think now with social media and like the constant doom scroll that we're in, that we're always looking on the outside and we're trying to seek, there's like a lot of seeking of validation and yeah. it, it can dry up that, that creative sponge that curiosity because we're thinking we have to feed that beast and really what we need to be doing yeah. is like going inward to really figure out what is interesting to us what's curious to us what what is your voice actually sound like what does your voice actually want to say yeah um, and that is I think the greatest battle that we're in right now so that we don't all become this sea of same we want to you know that yeah. there's such an importance to sort of stand on our own two feet and say okay you might think I'm totally wacky but here I am and I'm doing it and this is how I feel and this is what I think and suddenly people point at you and say oh my gosh Julia she's so good at this thing and like let's get Julia in because she talks so passionately about this thing that passion and that that specificity doesn't just arrive. It, it gets honed and it takes time. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would. Yeah. And you're making me think of, um, you know, when I first started and, and maybe you guys have experienced this because I feel like it's like the first question that you get when you're first starting out as a writer. So many people were asking me like, what's your voice? What's your like writing voice? What's your comedic voice? 
And I was like, I don't fucking know. I don't <laughs> yeah. fucking know. You tell me to. It sounds like this. Uh... <laughs> it sounds like this. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 it took me again, like years for me to, because I would always sort of like, you know, posture around, intellectualize an answer. And I was like, I don't know. People would ask me the same thing when I would do stand-up. They'd go, what kind of stand-up do you do? And I go, not one-liners. That's all I can say. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not sure. People will tell you what your voice is. You can't start from a place of my voice is this. Because it also goes to that thing that you were saying, Izzy, of like, oh, do I have to be this certain way? The, the sort of sea of sameness, which I love. Um, I think that there's something also specifically about what's happening right now, being a professional writer, that is particularly challenging. So many reboots, right? There's so many things that have to be based on IP. I can't tell mm. you most of the jobs that I've been approached with or engaged with in the last couple of years have been like, what's your take on this? What's your take on this reboot? What's your take on this IP? And even as I pitch original ideas, it is like sparklier if it's based on IP. Um, and that can be, of course, like very debilitating for a creative because you, you know, have to contort yourself or there's this sort of like play of, especially if it's somebody that is living that is still created, you know, that's created this thing, how do you feel beholden to be like yeah. truthful and, and loyal to that original iteration of the story and how far can you stretch it? And it makes me think one of my other big comedy heroes, Lorne Miller, I think they're just fantastic. And I think everything they touch is gold. I know hyperbole, they're the best. Um, <laughs> and, I've, and I've loved them since Clone High. And then even before that, they made like weird fake commercial parodies and they just put them online. And I was like, who are these guys? <laughs> Lonely Island, very similarly. Lord Miller, um, you know, they've done the incredible. They've pulled off the prestige with the Lego movie and so many other, 21 Jump Street was mm. so great. But one story that I always think about with Lego movie, partly because I've been in this situation and I don't know if I've, I've hit it to the success that they have. But when they first had that meeting about the Lego movie, um, they went in, Lego was like, we want to do a movie. We want you guys to write it. And they were like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, you know, they're driving home from the meeting and they're just like, that's fucking stupid. How do you fucking make a Lego movie without it being a commercial? I fucking yeah. hate this shit. Like they were just talking shit the whole time. Just being like, this sucks. Why has our career gotten to this point that we're making fucking a toy movie? Like, we don't want to be doing this shit, you know? They were just, like, fully toxic, like, let it out, baby. And then slowly, you know, L.A. has traffic. And so they're in traffic. Mm -hmm. And slowly, they're like, I mean, if we were to do it, yeah. <laughs> it would probably be like this. Yeah, 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 you know. And yeah, I guess, you know, if we were to do it that way, like, we'd probably do this, too. <laughs> But like, and we're not by, doing it. But we're not going to do no. it. And then by the end of the drive, they're like, okay, I guess we're writing a fucking Lego movie. God damn. And, <laughs> you know, part of that, of course, is their own innate talent. Part of that, of course, is their own, you know, like creative partnership. But I think about that all the time because I think what is uniquely um, like uh, challenging about this particular time as a writer, as a creative, is that you you do need to sharpen that strength, that, that ability to be able to take somebody else's IP or take an open writing assignment, OWA, what we call it in the industry. Um, and that usually is like a, a studio, say a Sony or a Universal or even a production company saying, hey, we want to do like 
when I was at Comedy Central, it was, we want to do stoner Jesus. Does anybody have any stoner Jesus ideas? <laughs> you, you may notice there's not a show like that. But anyway, um, an OWA would be like, okay, here's my pitch for stoner Jesus. And here we go. So that example, like that's happening more and more and more. I mean, truly it's like most of what the industry is right now. And Stone um, Jesus makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah there's there's like botanical shit happening. You yeah, know, right. Bethlehem, you know, he's like awesome. it's, it's, he's got he a lot of grass. time to kill before he starts. You know, I was gonna say he killing people. Whoops. But yeah. curing people, yeah, he's got a lot of time to kill. You know, he's a man in his thirties. Listen, we're now creating Stone Jesus, but yeah, exactly. Um, no, not yeah, that we would, yeah. but if we were. Yeah. So uh, I bring that up to say, as we're talking about voice and as we're talking about like being unique creatives, it can often feel so ununique and so like boring and so unexciting to be like, what is my take on the Garfield movie? Mm. Or what is my take on this? Um, and, you know, there is always a way, I think, and there's always a way for you to find your voice in it. And And honestly, I think you know, going back to whether you should write a pilot or a spec, writing a spec is, I think, a really good experience. Maybe it's yeah. not the best tool you have in your packet, but it's a really good experience to take somebody else's world, but still find yourself in it. Mm. And the more you do that, and that's not to say that, like, you have to absolutely kill your own original ideas. I'm not here with the doomsday. Like, people make weird shit all the time. Cocaine Bear is coming out this week. I've, I've Let's see how shocked. that goes. I'm and very I'm not excited. Shocked. I think right. Lord Miller produced that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not shocked. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think like, you know, being a creative, being a writer, it's just about like finding what are those magical elements that still get you excited. And um, I often say like, especially when I'm collaborating with people, like, you know, if we're bouncing ideas around, I'll say like, I'm not finding the magic yet, or it's not really clicking for me yet. I haven't had the fire lit. And I think you know, right? Like mm. the ideas that I've had that I've written in a week excitedly and I've not even felt, you know, writing them um, are the ones where I know that it's clicking. When you wake yeah. up and you're like, oh, I can't wait to dive back into that world. Like, okay, great. And you'll find that with every idea. Like you yeah. really truly will. And so you don't have to change yourself you know, you don't have to write like a really boring, dull drama just to have that as a checkbox, you know, in your, in your arsenal. I'll say personal example. I recently was asked by my agent um, to write a multicam pilot and I have never written for multicam. I've always been very single cam kind of gal and, uh, or just like weird streaming. <laughs> and so I was like, okay and you know multicam is very different mm. and it felt for a really long time like pulling teeth I was just like this fucking sucks you know and and it was that same like Lauren Miller card drive I, I kept turning my husband and be like fucking multicams fucking suck they're they're the worst because people in middle America who are fucking dumb are the only people that watch <laughs> it and like why am I even and then slowly I was like but wait a minute okay but if I was to do it and then yeah. I found the path yeah, and then I'm so proud of that script. I'm like, fucking send this. To I love it. I'm hearing like hone your own voice and like yeah. hate yourself, hate yes. the idea into it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's a roller coaster, right? Right. And that's, totally. That goes back to the uh, unfortunately and fortunately, there's yeah. never one set path. I, re I remember being so frustrated starting as a writer because I just wanted to get it fucking done. I was like, oh. 
I wish that there was just like a fucking quadratic formula where I just drip, drop, drop things in, boom, here's a script. Instead, writing a script feels like you're assembling a puzzle blindfolded and you're just feeling the pieces and you're like, oh, this is act two. And then you unfold your blindfold and you're like, no, that wasn't act two. That was a fucking donkey puzzle piece. (laughs) The head of the cat's on the tail. But yeah, and then and then it's just feeling around, feeling around. It's it's so frustrating, but um, you know, mm-hmm. you just have to be open. I think to like every day being different and open to sort of what like I guess for lack of better example, the muse is yeah. uh, speaking through Calling you to as you. a vessel. I love yeah. that. I also <laughs> feel like that um, that relates to an improv exercise, like an early you know one hundred and one improv exercise yeah. of like ranting to get you juiced up and to get you inspired. And I think yeah. ranting is something I I know for me, part of my writing process in is to, t- you know, take myself on a walk and like talk to myself and record myself just speaking about things to kind of get my juices flowing. So I think that there's something to yeah. that, even though, you know, we're k- kidding around about, oh, you know, they hated it before they loved it. The, the idea of like getting, just like throwing ideas out there and just like being a little bit aggressive about how you feel about it and being passionate about your perspective helps you get to that place where you can use that, that sweet juicy part yes. of your voice yes yeah. yeah and and changing environment I'm a big proponent yes. of like getting Get the outside. fuck out of your house yeah um I I love uh I love writing in places that nobody else is writing I would hate to like sit in a coffee shop where other people are like on their you know like screen writing like programs I'm like no take me I'll write yeah. at like theme parks I'll write yeah. at like mall food courts <laughs> Um, and then also like, you know, blowing off steam to kind of unlock something. Um, I, I love to like do private room karaoke, just me sometimes. By yourself? I'm obsessed with you. It's like, it's, it's so good because you can do it when you're celebrating something and you can do it when you're really sad (laughs) and it works amazing. You just do it for an hour and then you shake them up and you go, wow, I feel great. Great. I feel like I definitely relate to that in my car. I do that almost every day. It's like a loud singing session by myself. And then a a lot of waving to the people who are looking like, hello. Yes. Yeah. I'm sad today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we have a couple questions from the club community and I'd love to know from you, Julia. And so this is something that we do at Indie Spunk is, you know, we focus on making your own work to get you industry visible, to not only, you know, get your work out there, but also, yes, hone your voice. Yes, get specific about the kinds of stories that you want to tell. So question in terms of when people are doing that, right? People are making their own work. The creatives are doing what they're doing. They're getting their films into festivals. They're, you know, writing their scripts. They're putting their sketches up. What do you think is, what advice do you have in terms of leveraging these things that they're doing to get to that next level, to get the meetings and to, Mm -hmm. you know, discuss their opportunities with reps? What do you, what's your guidance in that space? Well, to address the rep first, Mm -hmm. it is um, the most frustrating part of this industry. And there's a lot of frustrating parts of this industry. So if you are unrepped, and you are worried that not having reps makes you less likely to get a job, I'm here to tell you that I've had reps that have actively stopped me from getting jobs just mm-hmm. because of their own uh, incompetency. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sometimes you're better off just using your own network. Um, 
I agree. Yeah, I would, I would say, um, and something that I did early on that I, I do believe led me to success. It, it not the success I thought would be like open, shut a to B let's go. You never know when you plant a seed with somebody, how that return is going to happen. It could happen within a couple months. It could happen within a couple years. So just trusting that. And I think mm. just like putting energy out and, um, you can do that by, uh, say, like you said, you create a sketch, you make the video of it, you post it online. I think people really, really like that. If you have a link to something, um, if you write a script and you, you know, want to maybe do like a live table read of it, that can be something that you could send to people. And the way I would do that is I'd look through, I, again, type A Lisa Simpson. I have a fucking spreadsheet of like all of my contacts from the history of time and, <laughs> and, a, and a note for like the last time I followed up with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, will you please uh, organize my life, things. Julia? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I, I would do it for free. I would do it for free. Um, but uh, um, I would if I created a sketch or if I wrote a script and I am like doing a, a live table read. First of all, if you're in Los Angeles, and I would guess like other metropolitan cities, um, Austin, Texas, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine, like anywhere that has like any semblance of a comedy scene. Um, you will find that there are small little theaters that you can do a live table read, or you can do one on Zoom. You could do something. Mm -hmm. I would get that set up if you want to set it up. But if you're a little, you know, gun shy, and maybe you just have like a, a script of something, something that you can share, I would look through my um, contacts. And if it's been, say, three plus months since the last time I followed up with somebody, I would reach out to them. And, you know, depending on your relationship, my first line of question is like, hey, it's been a minute. Do you want to get coffee? I would love to hear what's going on in your life. Treat them like a human because they are and you are too. Um, and then you could go to coffee with them and sort of sprinkle in what you've been working on because inevitably that question will come up, especially if you've interned for them or worked for them in any capacity. They know that you're a comedy person or a writer person. Um, and so they know that there must be something that you're working on. Everybody knows that everyone's trying their best. <laughs> That's yeah. actually what I love most about Hollywood is that everyone knows, like, we're all just in the desert uh, <laughs> waiting for water. So, so I think that it'll be easy for you to kind of cross that bridge with that person. If you can't um, have coffee with them for whatever reason, and you just want to, like, get down to business, um, I would say that that's the better advice for if you're doing a table read or if you're, um, you know, you just put a, a video up, um, keep your emails short-ish. Um, don't write a novel because nobody, doesn't matter who you are. I mean, the president emails all of us all the time, right? With fucking novels. Um, <laughs> I know that it's automated, but uh, but yeah, nobody opens them. Wait, so what? Make it, <laughs> I, I get, I get it Biden jo emails jo all the time. Joe and I are pals. Oh. Oh, oh, well, then good for you. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just keep it short and sweet and, you know, reach out to them and just be, just be easy breezy. Like also nobody, nobody likes getting an email that's like, I, I'm entitled to you helping me because you've been my mentor or whatever. Um, not to call anybody out, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I um, got to teach at my alma mater. And so I did that for two semesters teaching in the film school. It felt very surreal. It also made me feel like college isn't real. They're bringing me in. But um, I had some students who, uh, well, let's just say they were also straight white males. So maybe that's different. But they would email me and just 
you could tell felt entitled to me helping them. And I, and I wasn't responsive. Um, I, I didn't ghost them, but I wasn't like, you know, running down the hallways of Hollywood. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you're reaching out to somebody, I think just acknowledging their humanity, being easy breezy. Um, I always love to give people an out. Um, even when I literally just followed up with a showrunner that I had a staffing meeting with and it, and, and ended up, it was for a last season show. So I didn't get the job. Um, but I just reached out to this person and, you know, basically just poked them and was like, Hey, you know, like, I just wanted to say, I'm still such a huge fan of the show. And, um, you know, I hope you're having a, a great start of the new year. And, um, I, I just wanted to like, you know, throw my hat in the ring and, and see um, if you guys were staffing anytime soon. Of course, if if you're not, or I don't know, you know, like just write an outing by saying like, it's totally fine. Like either way, um, you do what you do, basically. Uh, I think that that's really kind because also everyone's time is precious. So yeah. all of those things I think um, are good for that kind of stuff. I love it. And we have a, I say this all the time. So I, I suppose it's sort of like a theme in this community. But um, I think it's really important to build it before you need it. And yes, like yeah. making sure that you're not just looking at relationships as though it's your ticket in. And instead it's a curiosity of who they are as a person, exactly as you say, the humanity behind them, honoring that we're all just here together trying to figure it out. And so I can support you as much as you can support me. And remembering that helps you not put people on a pedestal necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll also say that when you get to a point where you're working and you've got some, you know, credits under your belt, um, and then you get into development with say a production company and a studio, whatever, it could go either way. You don't want to like, you, you basically want to find the good people that you treat like a human who treat you like a human that you bond with on a friend level. Mm. Those are the people that you want to be doing business with. And I know that there are exceptions. If you got a million dollar deal from Fox, but you, the exec fucking sucks and you hate them. I mean, that could also be a problem, but you know, you could be like, well, the money is going to be, (laughs) (laughs) but for the most part, you know, especially when you're getting into that kind of situation, I mean, the end goal is to like sell something, right. Or the end goal is to staff on something so that you will be in a working relationship with somebody so that you can continue on be a professional writer. Um, you want to be able to, uh, have somebody that you genuinely feel connected with, because also that goes into like your own protect, your your own protection, because Mm -hmm. if you're in a bad business situation, I mean, then what's the point? Like, it's not joyful anymore. It'll Mm -hmm. make you question, do I even want to do this anymore? And I've seen that happen to a lot of writers. So yeah, don't just like treat them as transactional, Um, I can tell you immediately when I meet somebody and it's like, they're only like trying to interact with me because they want me to do something for them. Right. First of all, I'm like, how flattering, (laughs) but, (laughs) but I don't, I don't want anything to do with you, you know? And I also hate networking events for that, but that's Mm -hmm. not to say you shouldn't go to networking events. I think just go to networking events, but like find the humans there. Yeah. I would say like going to events and especially, you know, a lot of uh, our community go to film festivals and, you know, circulate their films. And when you're going to a festival, it can feel so overwhelming to think, oh my gosh, there's so many people that I have to connect to and meet. And it's, you know, the focus is one, just make one friend and don't worry about the connection or the industry or the networking, all of that stuff. Just connect on a human level to at least one person and then walk away feeling like, great, I made a new friend because friends are what we need in this industry. We don't need 
you know, we don't need an industry connection. We need a friend because friends mm-hmm. are going to help us in, in much more profound ways. And also be yeah. collaborative and creative together. Um, what about, you know, you say, you, you know, you're not so, such a big fan of networking. How do you feel, <laughs> how do you find your network um, naturally sort of grows and, and what does that look like? Um, you know, it, it will naturally grow from the jobs that I yeah. pick up, obviously. Um, I, I get help from my reps with, they set general meetings with people. And so that'll, that'll happen. I'm not, I mean, I love not having COVID, but I'm not the biggest fan of the zoom general. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah me too. Very, very detached. And, you know, it's not like I want to smell them, but you know, I just don't feel <laughs> as connected. So it, it can be difficult to kind of like really strengthen that bond. But I think how you can do that in the Zoom era is, you know, go into the conversation knowing that it's going to be a little bit about business, but also like, yeah, connecting on a human level, just like talking about weird bullshit that you both like things that, you know, are going to have that deeper bond. Mm-hmm. Um, following up with them. Uh, I like to do a follow-up the next day or a couple days after and saying like how gracious I feel about them sharing their time with me and maybe reference something that we talked about to kind of like have them be like, oh yeah, I had a lot of meetings yesterday, but Julia said this, we bonded over this, you know, to kind of keep it fresh yeah. with that. Um, okay. And then I would also say like, I've networked a lot with um you know, going to uh, WJ and Animation Guild, I want to say um, you don't have to be a member for all of their networking events. Mm. Um, there are some where just look at their calendar and sort of see, or, you know, um, you could look on, uh, they're like, I'm, I'm, what is the website that's like, hang out or get hang or like there's there's like websites oh meetup meetup <laughs> meet yeah right right, right. Meet yeah there's, there's some stuff on meetup that you can go and, and sort of just meet other people in your mm-hmm. area I think that can be very helpful but I was going to say that um one of like the best networking uh experiences I've ever had that's like truly changed my life this person is now like one of my best friends was um it came from a Facebook group that I was a part of mm. I uh <laughs> I used to joke, I woke up one day and realized I was in seven different feminist-only Facebook groups. <laughs> I must have blacked out. Enjoy and them all. <laughs> every single Facebook group that's like female-only, I always say uh, it starts in the same way that like America started, where it's like everyone's got clear eyes, bright futures, we're going to right the wrongs of the past. And then in two weeks, somebody goes, yeah, but this guy's dick is weird, right? And then like the whole group falls <laughs> apart. So this was an instance where it was the only one that remained good because it was about working women writers. And, you know, the version of this guy's dick is weird is somebody posting, is FX screwing me on my pilot deal? And everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, they are, you know? So a meetup was formed from that group. And I ended up, um, you know, I could have spent the night bouncing around to different conversations and really, you know, I, it was one of those name tag situations where mm-hmm. it's almost like speed dating. But I ended up getting along with this one writer that I had just met that night, not even online. And we just spoke and then like us, like bonding generated other people to join us. And then we became a writer's group after that. Mm. Um, And which, you know, that's such a precious, intimate thing to form. So you have to be really picky. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And it worked out. (laughs) And then, um, yeah, she's the the first person that I um, 
bonded with has become one of my best friends and we write completely different things. Um, you know, we would never have crossed paths in a writer's room. She's a drama writer. I'm a comedy writer. She writes um, period dramas too. Cool. I for sure do not. <laughs> um, and, but like, you, we also have been able to share each other's writing and give each other notes. And it's, I think, been really helpful to have that kind of different genre perspective. That's another thing too, when you're forming uh, writing groups, to have it be, um, you know, diverse with mm. genres there's something to be said about having a group of comedy writers in the room but as somebody who did stand up for a decade um we're all jealous bitches and we're gonna withhold things <laughs> so you don't always want that um it was really nice to be like you know in a group of a lot of other drama writers actually and hearing what they had to say about you know uh, my scripts anyway I was also like at her wedding in September in Italy and like you know uh, you never know where things yes. are gonna go so I think it, I can truly see the butterfly effect of going to that one networking mm. event that one night. Um, and it, that alone has like, you know, really forced me, motivated me to go to more things. Cause I also, I love to go out, but my house is so nice. I totally, <laughs> so really I always hard. have to be pushed to, to yeah. get out to those things, but I feel you on that butterfly effect. And I, you know, and yeah. for everyone in the club here, we, you know, we do networking events, networking, like casual networking calls every couple of months just to keep that muscle as well as obviously mm -hmm. connecting with each other. And I think that there's no greater, I think, uh, um, delight in this industry than having great pals that you can lean on and collaborate with and just showing yeah. up, just showing up yeah. and being like, I can be open. I can just be okay with this. Cause coming from someone who's like, it's not my first, it's not in my nature um, yeah. to, to be, you know, hi, I'm Izzy. And like, here's my name tag. Right. Um, I prefer to just like hole up with a, a glass of wine. <laughs> right. And the, the, worst, the worst thing that could happen is not bad. Like yes, the worst exactly. thing that could happen is that people just don't regard you. I've had a whole lifetime of that. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No longer can be afraid of no one. Yeah. Seeing me. Um, <laughs> question actually. Okay. So I am so curious. I really want to hear the story as before we finish up about how you got Matt Groening on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not that big of a story and I, I'll credit more my co-host Allie Gertz for that she's really good I mean talk about inspiring people she's really good about just like taking wild swings and mm -hmm. like you know like oh I just dm'd Ryan Johnson and now we're <laughs> friends and I'm like what the fuck <laughs> she she really inspires me and it, it I think goes back to what you're just talking about with networking where it's like yeah who cares like Fuck again it. I think we all feel like uh we're gonna be in you know high school middle school playground style where if we go up to a table at lunch people are gonna be like don't sit here yeah and that's just not the case I'm finding over and over if you're like a, a nice person who again treats other people as humans I think people respond to that um, and honestly, that's also a lesson that I'm sure got me my job on uh, the Aquabats and, and got me like into their good graces because when I was a ska kid, I ended up like becoming friends with a lot of my favorite bands, not because I was the coolest person in the world, but just because I didn't treat them like they were these like untouchable celebrities. I didn't get weird yeah. about it. Yeah. And so I think if you don't get weird about it, then people respond to that. And I'm certain that's what happened mm -hmm. with Matt Groening where you know, we had done the podcast for uh, an amount of time at that point. So we weren't like freshly new. And it was probably also the fact that a lot of his peers and contemporaries were already on. 
Mm-hmm. Um, peers. Nobody's a peer with that great. <laughs> what am I talking about? People that he employs <laughs> were on. <laughs> All the plebes were on. So I think I think um, you know we passed the bozo test for we're not going to be. It's not going to be like the Chris Farley show on SNL where we're just going to be like you're so awesome. You know we were going to come at it. You know uh, with like a, a very human to human kind of thing. And, um, and I think it probably also helped that, you know, Allie, uh, is like talented and successful in mm-hmm. her own right. And, you know, I had some things to say and do. And so, yeah, I, I think all of that kind of came together, but it was interesting to me that he even said yes, because of him not being on any podcast, it makes me think like either people just don't ask him or yeah. I don't know, but what I will say that really surprised me and continues to surprise me to this day we were, I think we edited down that episode and it was like two and a half hours. We were with him for three and a half hours. He like wouldn't leave. Wow. <laughs> and it was on Zoom, but still it was like, it was super crazy. How fun. I know, I, yeah. I think I only heard the first hour of it and it was, I mean, already just such a an incredible, juicy, amazing episode. And I recommend all of you go and listen to it. It's called, uh, everything's coming up. Simpsons. It was round Springfield. Round Springfield. And it was, yeah. Um, so I see that there's some questions in the chat. Should yes. I? Yeah, I would love to um, circle back to one of the questions that was asked earlier. Do you ever worry about being pigeonholed for the type of writing that you do? Yes. <laughs> Next question. No, I'm <laughs> um, yes. In fact, that's this is like a, a very topical question for me right now where um you know, as I've mentioned, and you've mentioned, is he written a lot for animation? And I'm at a crossroads right now, I feel where I, of course, have been so grateful for the opportunity to write it all. Um, Truly, truly, truly. Every time I fill out my taxes, I'm like, holy shit, (laughs) you get to write writer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it doesn't get old. Um, But I'm at a point right now where I feel like I've climbed every mountain for animation and I'm not saying goodbye forever but I'm just like I I love a creative challenge so I am uh actively trying to get deeper into live action writing um of course I've done you know that in the past but it's been predominantly animation and I think animation writers um even as I say that I'm reinforcing uh that they get (laughs) pigeonholed as animation writers Mm -hmm. people that happen to write for animation Mm -hmm. um and, you know, during the pandemic, it was really great to be, um, you know, since so many productions were shutting down, so many live action productions, a lot of people were pivoting to animation. And so for like the first time in a while, I was like, oh my God, I'm like the fucking bachelor. Like I'm getting all these roses. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> you know, it felt nice. Um, and of course, you know, my husband being an animation director, I'll always feel a tenderness to that uh, mm-hmm. as a medium to write for. But I think that if you, you know, if you sort of dog paddle in something, um, it depends on the kind of creative you are, but I like to just be constantly just moving forward like a shark. (laughs) So, so yeah, I, I'm a little worried about that, but I, every time that I've like brought it up to particularly showrunners, um, where I've asked like, Hey, you know, when you are looking to staff a show, you know, do you look at the resume and sort of like, get a read of like, oh, they've only done kids animation or they've only done animation. Um, I don't think that they'll be a good fit. And I have fortunately gotten uh, a resounding no, that's not important. Mm. Um, you know, it's just about like what materials they're sending, what voice I can sort of detect the chemistry. from that. Yeah. yeah. I, of course, like 
you know, there is also something to be said about like, okay, well, if they've, if they've only had professional experience in this arena, then I think like their muscle memory is not as attuned to writing for half hour live action or whatever. But again, I think that that is so negligible and it can be mm. very bullshit of like writing is writing is writing. Like, you know how to craft a story? Okay, great. You know yeah. how to like write in a character voice? Okay, great. So a lot of times I think it can be a battle with yourself, but you know, mm. still it, it depends. Like I say that now and then I could open a door tomorrow and somebody will be like, get out of my office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Animation <Well>. line. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's so so eloquently circles back to what we were talking about right at the top, which is that we can be our, our own worst limitation yeah. and that usually the block that we need to face is the one that we set for ourselves. So mm-hmm. I think that's um, such a beautiful place to, to plug, but I was actually remembering that I did want to know one more thing from you, Julia. Yeah. How did you land the Simpsons? Oh, <laughs> Well, that'll be a Patreon episode that people have. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I actually landed the Simpsons the way that, um, that, that it was, it was like the, the way you apply for a job normally, it wasn't really like a inside track situation. Um, but honestly it came from an internship follow-up. So as I mentioned, I interned at FX Um, And I interned there in their development offices right after Comedy Central. So it was very dizzy and Comedy Central was like stand-ups all the time coming in for meetings. And then FX, it was like in a single day, I'd see Dana Gould and uh, Pierce Brosnan. (laughs) You're like, wow, this is a different vibe over here. So I um, was just getting a catch-up coffee with my old boss and, you know, telling her all my 20-something antics and that I was, you know, still trying to be a writer, still trying to do this at this. And she mentioned to me, hey, you know, The Simpsons is looking for a new writer. And I was like, excuse? <laughs> <laughs> and she very uh, graciously offered to pass my materials on. And I think what I sent over, I had just finished writing Townies, but mm-hmm. I don't think that we had shot it yet. So I had the scripts and I wrote the whole season by myself um, and <laughs> very... Uh, presumptuously um, sent the whole season as a season, which you shouldn't do. (laughs) I was like, well, this is too good to end on one episode. You're going to want to see it. They're going to want to read more. It wasn't that long, but it was very long. It was longer than you should. You should send 30 pages. You should send 30 pages. So anyway, I sent that and it got into the hands of Al Jean and he reached out to me via email and he said, you know, uh, I really like this script. Do you want to come in um, and talk? And it, it felt very ominous. I was like, last time somebody said that, talk. it was my parents getting yes. divorced. But uh, anyway, then the rest is history. Um, it, it, yeah, it just, it came out of that. Um, and yeah, I still can't believe it. <laughs> I love, I love it. And I also feel like you deserve I feel like I want to plug you even a little bit more in this story, even though I have literally nothing, uh, you know, I, I, not that I know everything about you, but you have always been really, really vocal about your passion for the Simpsons. And yeah, that has some, I feel like that has something to do with it. Right. Because you people know that are in your wheelhouse that are in your network, right. that that's something that you really care about, that you have been passionate since day dot about the show and, and the characters. And it, it's been, right and I hope I'm not putting words in yeah. your mouth but it's something no that's so no you're right you. yeah yeah you're right and and honestly like um 
and it, again, it went back to like starting the podcast and being such a vocal fan of the Simpsons. Like I never thought in a million years it would lead to the fucking bungalow at the Fox. Like, are you kidding me? Like never in a million years. It was the furthest thing that I could have possibly done. And in a way I was like, am I working against myself? With you? <laughs> like it was the furthest thing I could possibly do to like have it be like, I'm only doing this because then one day they're going to see it, you know? And so again, it, it goes mm. to that thing of like, trust what you are interested in, in doing that doesn't have like this weird performative end goal. Just like do it and let it live in the moment. Yes. Um, because that's also exciting for other people to see. The same reason why I love the clowning community so much because I'll admit I'm a terrible audience member for a stand-up show. I'm in my head the whole time. I'm watching the mechanics happen. Yeah. The only I only laugh at like five stand-ups. Um, and so, you know, when I'm watching clowning, I'm like, they're so present. I don't know what the fuck is happening. Um, so, you know, I think like writing your own stuff and just pursuing what interests you has that to it. Um, and then also like that whole process, I, I feel like has inspired me to just like be vocal about other things that I want to be vocal about. Um, for example, over the last year, I had an idea for a Muppet script and I've always wanted to work with the Muppets. Like, I mean, who does? They're the best. Um, I, I just find it's such like a unique um, high, low balance of like really, really sharp comedy, but then it's also got a wholesomeness yeah. to it that, that doesn't feel saccharine and and you know they of course have been like it just a dream like you go you go through life and you you start to pick up oh yeah that's a dream of mine I would fucking love to work with Muppets so I just wrote a spec for the Muppets without like you know just wanting to do it and so I did it and now I'm in the process of um organizing a table read for it uh and uh to make it a little less self-indulgent, it's going to be a table read for charity. And I don't know like what's going to happen with it. Again, I don't have an end goal. I, I sincerely don't believe that like, you know, Muppet Studios will be like, come on over kid. Like, I don't, don't know. We'll be like, so season shocked. Two, season two of the podcast will be having you on. You'll be like, well, I made my, I made well, my I'm, it's me and Jason Siegel and Josh Gad for some reason that we're all <laughs> in the booth together. No, no, I, I, but I don't know. I think like, you know if only like the, the the on the base level i just want to like uh share my muppet thing and not have it just exist on a digital shelf so i think that there is value in that too um and i know that like naturally the end goal will like drift in where you go oh you can monetize this you know or oh you could do you know whatever um but i i think if you keep an eye on it the name of the game in all instances is to just be honest with yourself and to not bullshit yourself for the intentions of what you're doing. And that's not only a, a bit of advice I'll take for writing, but for life. Like people don't try and be sneaky. Don't try and be dishonest. Just like be yourself. And then that'll generate the people that are meant to be your people. Um, and, you know, going back to work, it's like, that's, I think the the truest North star that you could follow. Cause you, you truly don't know what the fuck could happen again how did I get in that Simpsons room? I still don't know. <laughs> I've, I, I made jokes leading up to going in where I was like, I feel like Al Jean, I'm going to like, at the end of the day, give him my like parking validation ticket to get stamped. And he'll be like, you failed the test. <laughs> like fully, like the end of Willy Wonka. You lose. Good day, sir. Like, I don't Good know. Day, sir. Um, yeah, just, it's so weird.
I don't know, this life is crazy. <laughs> it is. And, and I think that the principle of following your curiosity, following the, yeah. the thing that makes you laugh, the thing that makes you happy, the connections that you feel authentic about, your voice, honing that, all of that is a recipe for inevitable success, but that's not necessarily the most exciting part. The inevitable success, the, the you know, focusing on that takes you away from the joy. And so I love yes. this conversation so much. I feel like there's there's so much to take away here. Um, Julia, I'm so grateful for you. Is there anything oh. that you would like to leave us with uh, to just say, Gosh. you know, at the end, anything that you want to say? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think, I, man, I feel like we've, we've said it all, mm. but I, I'll just say, probably repeating myself, but just say again that um, today does not define you, that tomorrow is a brand new day. So if you are feeling like a fraud today, uh, I guarantee you that waking up tomorrow morning will be a different feeling, even if it is one degree off from that feeling that you're feeling right now. And then to echo what you just said, Izzy, like, you know, if you're not celebrating the little wins, if you are delaying satisfaction because you are driven more by your ambition or you're saying this is okay, but it's not exactly what I want. Um, you know, I've had to learn over and over and over that that benefits no one. <laughs> and you're not like ruining the magic or the luck if you go, holy shit, I got this meeting you know, you're not jinxing yourself for the, you know, process of what that meeting could promise going wrong by celebrating it right now. In fact, you are um, being present and active in your life in a way that I think other people deny themselves. And again, it doesn't benefit anybody. Um, and I would also say that just allowing yourself the permission to write and to be a writer, despite whatever circumstances you're coming to, but allowing yourself that permission to sit down and write out ideas is far more courageous than so many other people face. Um, there are so many people that deny themselves that because they can um, sort of intellectualize their way around, I'll never make it, therefore it's such a waste. It's never a waste. Um, you know, you just truly never know what's going to happen um, and you truly never know, not just in like a Hollywood sense, but like you truly never know who is affected by your art. I'm surprised all the time when people reach out to me, you know, or I, I know I'll reach out to people and they'll be surprised too. Like we're all experiencing that level of like, who me, you know, because again, writing is so, um, it, it's so private and you can feel so lonely in it. So I think like all of that to say, you know, you're good as other people's great. And um, whether you write today or whether you don't, um, it's going to be okay. You're not a failure. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Julia. <laughs> Thank I, you. Uh, what an inspiring conversation. I know that uh, we've all gotten so much out of this and everyone listening will. And that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for trusting me as you grow that career up and up and up. And if you're curious about coaching, head to the link in my show notes. You can get info, apply and grab a complimentary chat with me. I'd love to meet you. You can also snag a free copy of my script to screen roadmap. And of course, make sure you head over to the Indie Spunk IG for even more good shit. Stay spunky and I'll see you soon.